you would open your Bibles to Matthew, the very last chapter, 28. In some senses, we're picking up, uh, obviously, some, some water under the bridge from where we were last week, uh, watching Jesus ride in on the colt of a donkey. Uh, we're picking up after uh, those events progress uh, through his death uh, in celebration of the triumphant resurrection. Pay attention, especially as we read, to the various responses to the resurrection. That's what we're talking about this morning. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Matthew 28, we'll read the whole chapter. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If anyone comes, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Father, help us as we would desire to understand. We would desire to see Jesus. We come together as those in need of resurrection hope. We come together as those desperately broken, with no hope in our mortal bodies, but hope in yours. 
Lord, challenge us. By this, your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. story of the resurrection, the account of the resurrected Christ is a, it's really a world-changing event. It's not just a, a point on a line, it is the sum total of all our hope. The life of Jesus and his mission prophesied from Genesis 2 onward, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. His genealogy impeccably given as the second Adam, the true Israel, the one greater than Moses, greater than David, his greater son. His birth was heralded by angels. His life was a force of mercy and justice and truth, second to none. His teaching was astonishing. His miracles astounded. His life fulfilled every syllable of the covenant-related to Abraham and to Moses. All of Jesus' earthly life and ministry are a wonder to behold, and yet the linchpin in all of it is his vindication and resurrection. It's one thing to claim all these things to be true. It's one thing to say, I have all of this, this background and, and all of that, and it's another thing that he is alive and not dead. It changes everything. That Christ is living and not dead. Without the resurrection of Christ, here's the reality. We remain dead in our sins. The resurrection is central because it's the core of the, the good news. The good news is that Jesus is our substitute. It would not be good news if our substitute in life and death is still dead. It's a core part of the gospel message. We need a living, risen Savior. For everything he said is vindicated. His righteousness is vindicated in his resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. There is no good news apart from the resurrected Christ. Matthew offers the resurrection narrative and he structures it in such a way to, to make some points about, hey, there, there's some responses here that you need to pay attention to. It's almost like he jumps in and the resurrection has always already happened. You notice that? He's not trying to show us detail about how Jesus actually left the tomb. That's a given fact this morning. He's trying to, to show us, hey, here, here's what responses look like. First, we see a response of worship. Second, a response of lies. And, and then a response of mission. The resurrection demands worship. Our text opens with signs of great power. This should not surprise us. All, right, all that we've been talking about with Sinai and God and thunder and lightning and earthquakes, all that power is here. All that power is resurrection power. That's how he sets the scene, right? you imagine the guards? So there's an earthquake. What looks like a lightning bolt descending, an angel coming, pure white 
robes. There's power here. It's resurrection power. The glory of God is on display in the resurrection of Christ. Verse 4 says, And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. I love that. It's hilarious. I bet they did. They became like dead men. Frozen in fear. I'll just pass out and immediately look, look at all that the angel has to say. It's, it's a mouthful here. Don't be afraid. He sets him at ease. I love that about angelic visitations. By the way, he says this to the women, not to the men. I guess they should be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Piece that Kathy Keller wrote on this. She makes an incredible observation. I realized the stone needed to be rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in. Isn't that great? The tomb was empty. See? Roll the stone away so you can see. Jesus didn't need that to happen to leave here. And go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Already we see that the resurrection is producing action. Obedience is being demanded. All this talk about telling. So the, the women who were there gathered at the tomb, they quickly depart with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and on the way Jesus meets them. And catch the simple beauty of this. Again, we're not given a ton of details. What, what would you think? Put, try to put yourself in their shoes. Uh, remove a little of the, the layers that we have here. And here's Jesus. And they, the last time they had seen him, he was smitten, his body broken. And here they encounter him. And he says simply greetings. He greets them and they come up to him and they take hold of his feet, we're told, and they worship him. The term here is prostrate on the ground before him. They simply grab his feet and there they worship the risen king. Can you imagine what that must have been like? They're coming to anoint Jesus' body and burial, and now they see him alive. He greets them. What must that have been like? The resurrection of Christ demands worship. They weren't getting it wrong, they were getting it right. The resurrection demands worship. It means do reverence or, or homage to the Lord and adoration. Jesus, the Son of God, has conquered Satan and hell and death and the grave, and he is worthy of our worship. He's alive. It's an incredible reality. Notice, though, the, the detail that, that Matthew points to. They hold the feet of Jesus. 
His feet had grown from tiny little baby sandals to man-sized shoes. His feet had walked the roads, the streets, all over Palestine. His feet had climbed mountains to pray alone and climbed mountains to teach and climbed mountains to feed thousands. His feet had walked on water. His feet had been washed and anointed with the tears of a broken-hearted woman. Tears of repentance and joy for the forgiveness that she had been shown. His feet had been anointed with oil. Before they walked the way of suffering. His feet had been pierced with nails and he's focusing us in. Look at the feet of Jesus and see these women there at his feet. Sometimes I think we miss out on the astounding reality of the resurrection because we're not really thinking about his body. Do you see here that Matthew wants us to know that he has a body? They come and they take hold of his feet. I think sometimes we we don't mean to, but I think we're very Gnostic about Jesus. And that just means he just appeared to be a person again. He doesn't really have a body, not one that you could touch. And the scriptures are absolutely confronting that reality. They're saying absolutely no, y'all, he is bodily resurrected. Here he is. Jesus has a body. I think it's so critical to catch this. This humanity, humanity that Jesus took, he, he will forever have. Consider that. Jesus is a person, a man today. These same feet that they bow down before and worship exist today. He is a man. Do you know that? The humanity of Jesus will remain forever. Philippians 2 said that Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being found in human form went further to death on the Roman cross. Ephesians 1 talks about all the the greatness and the, the, the power of Christ and how he is at the right hand of the Father right now, ruling and reigning all things. And then it says this, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you know that Jesus has a body today? Why does that matter? Like, man, you just, you're just hammering that point. We get it already. Why does it matter? I think the good news is not just good news for our soul. It's not simply good news about love and how you can be a more loving person, a more forgiving person. This is good news for our body. The fact that he is raised bodily means that we will be raised bodily. The fact that he is raised bodily means all things new. 
The clock on his new creation begins with the resurrection of Christ. Death is broken there. The bodily resurrection of Christ is the first fruits, we're told, from all the dead. How can we apply that practically? Look, have you ever known anybody suffering with, with anything? Then you know what you can take to them? You can take to them this resurrection hope. When we go visit loved ones in the hospital, how do we do that? We do that knowing this is not the end. Because Christ is risen, he has a body. When someone's body is broken and riddled with cancer, how do we deal with that? How do we approach that? We do so as those who know Christ is risen bodily. When someone dies that we love or a friend of ours has a loved one die, someone who's close to us, how do we deal with that? Christ is risen bodily. That's not to say that it, it doesn't hurt, but there is a promise that in Christ all things will be made new. This is a living hope. It's not just some foggy spiritual thing that helps us get through our day. The resurrected body of Christ has meaning in our lives. It changes everything. We, we take this with us every day. It's the hope that we have. His resurrection is the guarantee of our own. Two, in addition to the reaction of worship, we we see here that the resurrection demands an answer. And sometimes those answers are lies. We're taken by Matthew from the encounter with the women and Jesus to the chambers of the high priest. It's very interesting. Something happened after that to one of these guys because this account ended up here. Isn't that neat? Jesus gave the command to the women, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. I'll meet them there just as I said. And the whole text is full of going and telling because we come on this next group and the soldiers are going and telling. Everybody's busy doing something. That's one thing that resurrection does. People go and tell. The guards, apparently, they uh, recompose themselves a little bit. They witness this scene of power, and they they get on their feet, and they go report to their boss uh, what had happened. You might be interested in this. Something really wild has occurred. We heard this message you got to hear this. The tomb is empty. It was an earthquake and lightning. They had been set, no doubt, by the priests and the elders uh, to keep anything from going on with the body. They wanted no more disturbances from this Jesus beyond the grave even. Hey, you guys just keep an eye on things. So then they go back and they tell their story and the priests and the elders divide, devise this plan. When they had assembled, the elders had 
taking counsel. They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. I love that, by the way. It's like in the movies when you see somebody taking a bribe, right? And the one guy's got his hand out and the other guy's like putting money in it. Right? Is that enough? You know what I'm talking about? How about this? What's the sufficient sum here? What's their price? Is that enough? And the guys are just like, not enough. Not enough. I think it's a little dig. He's like, when they had given them enough money to carry this lie around with them, they were satisfied. So here's the lie. Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away and while, they were, while we were asleep. I mean, I bet that pile got big, right? We were asleep on duty, his disciples, which, how crazy is that? We were asleep, but his disciples did it. Could there be a more plausible, maybe? No. So the lie itself doesn't, doesn't really hold water. And he, we're, we're told that it still spreads to this day. And, and many other uh, lies around the resurrection of Christ, that it was a hoax planned by the disciples, that the resurrection is clearly a mass hallucination. Have you ever heard that one? Jesus wasn't really dead in addition to saying, um, uh, being kind of condescending that uh, this crucifixion squad didn't know what a dead person looks like. I mean, it it puts us in a higher place historically uh, to say we really know uh, death and, and they really didn't. Um, on and on the, the lies go. I mean, we could just list a, a ton of things here, but, but the question is why, right? Why this thing that gives us so much hope, why would they have to offer a bribe and begin this lie to spread all over town and really all over the world? Because the resurrection is a threat to their power, demands some sort of answer. If the resurrection is true, then it demands something of us, right? You see, most people, look, there are people who have intellectual issues with Christianity, who would intellectually challenge the resurrection of Christ, but most of the challenges to the resurrection, most of the challenges to the scripture come from another place. They come from a place of if these things are true, then something is demanded of me. Years ago, I was reading an article by a a minister who had done campus ministry for years and years and years and years. He was really good at it. And he was writing some observations about what this kind of ministry looked like. And he, he said something that just absolutely stuck with me and has been transformative in, uh, in my own life in ministry. He said this, let's say you had this, this kid who comes into your college ministry. Everything's going along fine and they're growing in the Lord and, and they seem to be getting it, right? They're getting the gospel. It's confronting their sin. You're seeing uh, heart and life uh, change. Uh, and then all of a sudden they, they kind of disappear, it happens slowly, and then it picks up steam, and pretty soon they're gone. They're just off the radar. He said this. He'll, he'll begin to initiate contact. Hey, been missing you. Uh, haven't seen you 
lately at our meetings. Uh, I haven't seen you uh, at our gatherings. Just wanted to, to check in. Well, you know, I'm really having some struggles, really having some doubts about uh, this whole Christianity thing. Really? Doubts about Christianity. Yeah, yeah, you know. Okay, well, why don't we do this? Instead of us working it out, like, let's, let's meet up. And he said, inevitably, you know, it's difficult to set that meeting. But eventually the meeting gets set and they sit down. Yeah, we, I mean, I was taking this class and, you know, this professor said X, Y, and Z, these intellectual things. And he says, he says he does this. Who have you been sleeping with and for how long? Tell me about your addiction to pornography, alcohol, or drugs. And he says almost exclusively, almost every single time, he's right. He's exactly right that what is going on underneath is, is not an intellectual challenge to the fact of the gospel, to the truth of it. What's going on is... The gospel is confronting the heart, and people utterly want to dismiss it. He said, what, what happens is they end up confessing. You're right. How in the world? He said, he said he gets some crazy looks. How did you know? Because these aren't really intellectual doubts. That's what's going on here. It's not an intellectual doubt about the resurrected Christ. It's a power threat. If Christ is risen, it demands something. What about us? It's the same true of, of us. When we struggle with Christianity, when we struggle with the things in our faith, what's under those struggles? Is it really that we're intellectually challenging the veracity of the word of God? Or is it that there's some sort of sin in our lives that calls us to, to buck against its authority? I think it's a great question. Matthew said, here it is. Here's one of the responses. This is one of the things that happen when people see the resurrected Christ. They know it's true, and then they have to do something about it. You cannot let that threat continue. Let that be a challenge to all of us. And we're struggling. Look, we're going we're to have struggles in our faith. You do. I do. We're going to have struggles. What's underneath those? That's what we need to ask. Lastly, the resurrection of Christ results in mission. Have you ever thought about that? You ever been to a missions conference? Heard the Great Commission? I grew up in church. Grew up hearing... Sermons on the Great Commission. How often do you think about this? It's a result of the resurrection. The resurrected Christ is offering this commission to his followers. The scene switches again from inside the, the chambers of the high priest to Jesus meeting with his disciples. It's, it's this really lovely scene. Notice the response of some, when they saw him, they worshipped him. It's good, that's a great response. We saw the women do that. Good for you. Does everybody worship him? What's the rest of verse 17 say? 
says some doubted. They worshipped him, but, but some doubted. They're seeing him with their eyes. They're in the presence of Jesus on the mountain, just like he said. Some are worshipping and some doubt. And then what happens is beautiful. Jesus gives all of them this commission. Worshipper and doubter alike. Isn't that great? The beginning of this great statement. To worshipers and to doubters. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He is the master. He is the sovereign. He has fought for his people and he has won. For worshipers and doubters. He has triumphed over Satan and all of his power. He is the conquering and risen king. Death has been swallowed in victory. Death's sting is forever removed from those who are in Christ. Because Jesus lives, we live. Because he lives, we owe him our allegiance and our obedience to his command. All authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth is mine. And the statement is bracketed on the back end by this. So we think of this awesome statement, all authority is mine in heaven and on earth, and it is. That's an, that's an incredible, life-changing statement. And then that same Jesus says this, I will be with you. I will be with you to the end of the age. Jam those two realities together for a minute. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will be with you to the end of the age. Is that not an astounding reality? And jammed in the middle of that, so, so we're not first in the Great Commission. One, it comes from the resurrected Lord, and two, it's, it's flanked by His authority and presence with us, and right in the middle of that, To worshipers and doubters alike, Jesus says this, as you're going. So often we hear this as go, and I'm not, this isn't going to be some long exegesis of the Great Commission, just a, a few comments here on what Jesus is saying. Go, make disciples. Not to get too complex in the grammar here, but it's as you're going, the command is actually disciple making, followers. As you're going, as you're living your life, and by the way, he's talking to a people who are about to go. The bomb of politics is about to explode in their city. Seventy years out, the the temple would be destroyed, right? Jerusalem is going down. And Jesus says, in that context, as you're going, make disciples. Live your life and make disciples. How? It's not hard. He says it right here. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them. 
I wonder if somebody sells that curriculum for discipleship. I wonder if that's available. The baptism kit and the teaching what Jesus said kit. Look, I love discipleship material. It's great. I, I read a lot of stuff myself. But it's not as complicated. Jesus says here what discipleship looks like. And guess what Acts tells us? The early church went around discipling and teaching what Jesus commanded about the kingdom. And guys, listen, this isn't for the strong of faith. You out here, you worshiper, this is for you. And you doubter, this is for you. Isn't that good news? I'm a mixed bag. Sometimes I think I would be there on the mountain with the disciples and I would be the worshiper. I would be like the women and just want to hold his feet and other times I would say, no way this is real. There's no way. I would be like, Thomas, unless I touch you, it's not true. But the gorgeous reality of the gospel, the one who has all authority here is saying, it it doesn't matter. Like the amount of your faith is not the issue. Do you have faith? Do you have even a weak faith and sometimes you have doubts? This is for you. That's good news. It's good news. Listen, the the resurrection of Christ will not remain stagnant. That is not an option. That is never an option in the scriptures. It it demands certain reactions. Here it demands worship. It demands an answer. And if you can't accept that he is risen and the implications of that for your life, you're going to have to to lie about it. You're going to have to lie to your own heart and lie to others about what happened there. And lastly, because Jesus is raised, he has all authority, he has given us a mission. That as we're going, we're, we're making disciples. We don't have to juggle this, we don't have to make it all up. He, he's done it. It's his authority. Listen, we, we see... We see a world right now, just the national news in the last 24 hours, international news, it's exactly what happened. These doubters and worshipers exploded all over the globe. Now as a result of the resurrected Christ, the, the church is flourishing in China where they're being beaten and mocked and having their buildings burned for the sake of the the faith. In Sri Lanka, bombs going off because of the resurrected Christ. Are we even willing to, to risk a little discomfort in engaging our neighbors in obedience to the authority of Christ in this text to, to tell them the truth in love? Some people are dying for their faith and we won't even be embarrassed for, for hours. What are we going to do with this commission of our Lord? 
Listen, the pressure's off. All authority's his. And he is with us to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. Lord, as we see many reactions to the resurrected Christ, we would want to be those who worship and obey. We confess we often aren't. We're doubters and your power threatens us. Father, help us. And all these things help us. Lord, even now as we come to your table, strengthen us as we eat and drink of you by faith. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.